Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, September 27th. The Speaker of the House of Commons has fallen on his sword after organizing an honour ceremony for a World War II Nazi. We discuss the resignation of Anthony Rota and what, if any more follow-up, may be ahead for the federal Liberals with Mackenzie Gray, national reporter for Global News. Next, how bad is the cold and flu season expected to be this year? And could we see a resurgence of COVID in Alberta? We get the answers from Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. And finally, it seems like every other week we get a new report on coffee. One week it's bad for us, then the next week it's a healthy choice. We hear the latest research on our favourite morning drink from Dr. Mark Tonopolsky, CEO and founder of Stay Above Nutrition. Speaker of the House Anthony Rota has stepped down following what he says was his decision to honour a Ukrainian World War II veteran who it turns out fought for a Nazi unit. Joining us to talk about the latest and the fallout is Global News national reporter Mackenzie Gray. Hi Mackenzie. Good morning. Uh, has Mr. Rota fallen on his sword here? Do we think, do we hear any other whispers that there might be someone else who perhaps knew that this person was coming into the house and would be honoured? Uh, no, the Speaker has a gallery where he can invite uh, who he wants. This is uh, commonplace during question period. Other events in the House of Commons, uh, the Prime Minister's office and the Privy Council have both been unequivocal. Uh, that they had no knowledge of this and learned about it basically when we did. Um, there's nothing to suggest anything other than that. Uh, the fallout we're hearing about it, and obviously the end result yesterday uh, with Mr. Rota, uh, you know, exiting. Uh, but far from done, the impact, not only uh, with our relationship with the Ukraine, but also relationship with Russia or, or lack thereof. Can you tell us how this look is coming across on the world stage, Mackenzie? Well, very poorly. The the pretense or one of the pretenses that the Russians use for the invasion of Ukraine uh, falsely is that they need to denazify Ukraine. That is not true. Uh, but the fact that the Canadian government, the prime minister, uh, invited Mr. Zelensky here and then ends up uh, having him and the House of Commons give a standing ovation to someone who fought for the Nazis in World War II uh, is not a good look. Uh, we haven't heard anything really from the Prime Minister when it comes to an apology, and that's what Jewish groups have been asking for, saying, uh, look, you know, you are the head of government, invited Mr. Zelensky here, uh, we need an apology from you as the leader of Canada uh, for this. Uh, so we'll see today if that happens. The Prime Minister uh, on Wednesday takes every question in question period. Uh, but, you know, Mr. Trudeau has had two opportunities. He's spoken to the media twice about this issue, both on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, and has yet to apologize. So we'll see if that changes today. Mackenzie, I mean, as you say, the Jewish community rightfully horrified, but ha- has this impacted our relationship with Ukraine at all? Uh, we don't know at this time. Uh, we haven't heard anything from the Ukrainians, but uh, if you're Vladimir Zelensky, what do you think? You're probably not very happy about this situation. Uh, but on the flip side, uh, Canada is, you know, I would argue one of the few Western countries where, at least politically, there is no uh, mainstream group that is calling for less support for Ukraine. Um, you know, before Mr. Zelensky came to Ottawa, he was in Washington, and the reception he received in Washington was substantially different than what he got the last time he went there. A number, you know, a wide swath of Republicans and a majority of Americans, according to public opinion polls, are saying that no additional aid should go to Ukraine. Uh, that is not the mood in Canada. Um, now, Canada has much less to give when it comes to weapons, uh, but Mr. Trudeau has been very clear that uh, Canada is happy to give more money, And on the flip side, even if there is a change of government, whenever that may be, uh, the overwhelming amount of Ukrainian Canadians live in conservative ridings. So I 
do have a difficult time seeing the conservatives fundamentally changing the position in terms of uh, support for Ukraine. Um, but like anything in life, when you make a mistake like this, you think about your partner. You know, sometimes you got to buy a little jewelry when you make a mistake. I wouldn't be surprised if Canada has to pay up a little bit and give a little bit more money or weapons to uh, atone for the fact that this happened. All right. So you brought us up to speed, Mackenzie, to today, to this hour, really, uh, with the happenings. But moving ahead, uh, do we know, A, who is expected to replace Mr. Rota as speaker? And, and what is going to come next? Are we, are we done with this? Are we going to be sweeping it under the rug anytime soon within the political system of Canada, uh, aside from the world stage? Well, in terms of a new speaker, we don't know. Um, we don't know who it will be, but the process is clear. It'll happen next week on October 3rd, there'll be a vote. Um, the rules stated that as soon as Mr. Rota resigns uh, officially, which is at the end of the day, basically government business uh, has to stop in the House of Commons. There can't be question period or votes or anything like that. Uh, I think it's on Tuesday when the vote's going to be. So it should mean that on Friday, there probably won't be anything happening in the House. Uh, and Monday, they have a day off. And then Tuesday, there'd be an election presumably the first order of business. Uh, every MP is eligible to run to be speaker. Um, they actually have to inform the person who will preside over it, which is the Dean of the House of Commons, the longest serving MP, the Bloc member of parliament, Louis Plamondon. They have to inform him that they don't want to be on the ballot. Um, but I would expect that there'll be a couple of liberals and of course some representatives from all other parties uh, that can be voted for. Uh, I would be surprised if it's not a liberal MP who ends up becoming speaker, but uh, We'll see what happens. Mackenzie, I, I don't know if this information is, is out there. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but something you said earlier, and I was under the impression that this Ukrainian World War II veteran that fought for the Nazi unit came to Canada with Volodymyr Zelensky. Is that not the case? No. Do we know? He, he Two li- separate things. He lives in North Bay. He's a he's a resident. Uh, he's a constituent in Anthony Rhoda's riding. He's, <sighs> uh, Mr. Rhoda is the member for North Bay. Uh and his office confirmed to us yesterday that Vladimir Hunka, the uh, Yaroslav Hunka, I should say, the 98-year-old who fought in a Nazi unit, his son had reached out to Rhoda's office to ask for him to uh, be at the event. So Mr. Zelensky had, to our knowledge, no idea who this was, uh, and he's lived in North Bay. And from his own blog post that he's posted as of 2011, uh, he said he's lived in Canada for many decades. So he's been... Uh, here in our country for many, many years. Uh, okay. Thank you so much for the update, Mackenzie. We appreciate it. Thanks. That is Mackenzie Gray, Global News National Reporter. Get ready to roll up your sleeves. Cold and flu season is on the horizon. And joining us to discuss what we can anticipate and if a resurgence of COVID is coming or might already be here, uh, we're joined by Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Uh, good morning and welcome back to the program, Craig. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for joining us once again. And I know that, you know, we're on the doorstep of fall and the doorstep of germs. Kids are back in school. These things are going to happen. But just how bad will the cold and flu season be this fall, Dr. Janney? I think what we're going to be seeing this year is something that's a little closer to average, maybe a little worse. I mean, we we do look at Australia to predict what's going to happen here. And the flu season that they are just coming out of, so they get their flu season during our summer, 
uh, hit hard. Uh, there was lots of cases at the beginning. At the end, though, it wasn't too bad. It, it seemed to come down a little quicker than usual. And when we look at the season as a whole, there were more cases, more hospitalizations than, let's say, their 10-year average. But it wasn't up in those top record years, so it wasn't a, a really critical season in Australia, and that's good news. So that's suggesting that although cases might go up, maybe a little higher than last year, we're not expecting a, a critical uh, a season of flu here in Alberta. That's great news for sure. What about the COVID side of things, though? Because I, yeah. I right now, I know so many people who have COVID again. Yeah, so so we are seeing a lot of COVID cases. We're, we're you know, we're a little bit lost without detailed reporting, detailed uh, uh, wastewater and everything updated in real time like we had last year. So we're a little bit blind with that, but absolutely, if we look around the community and if we talk to friends, you know, we look at uh, 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 high school and junior high classrooms, a number of absentees, it's definitely COVID in the community. Um, and we have seen in other jurisdictions uh, cases rising, for example, in British Columbia and in a lot of other places around the world. So we know COVID's still out there. We know these new variants are, are unfortunately having an impact. The good news, though, is, again, as cases rise, we're not seeing that steep uptick in hospitalizations. So people are getting sick, but they're not getting nearly as sick as they have in the past. And, you know, that's really still showing that, that our immunity is holding. It could be better. And, you know, as cases go up, there will be increase in hospitalizations, just not quite at the same pace as we saw last year. So, so Dr. Jenny, if this is something that I'm concerned about, or maybe I'm in a high-risk category and I want to... Uh, do my best in in the fight to avoid illness. Mm-hmm. Are there boosters available that address the current strains? How does this work out? Yeah, so this is where life gets confusing again, and that's where you know things such as a, a policy uh, uh, sort of cloud the issue a little bit. So, uh, what they're offering now this year, they're no longer calling boosters because these are for new variants. So this would be the first time you're actually immunized for those variants. Uh, but we can think of them as a booster. So. If it's been more than six months since your last shot and you're in an at-risk group, or in particular if you have contact with at-risk, or at-risk people, and I think most of us do, whether it's family members or even just taking transit, right, you, you still can spread the virus. So we are encouraging people to consider getting that next shot. Uh, we have some variant-specific boosters that have been approved now this fall in Canada. We don't know when they'll arrive in the province. Uh, they do a, a fantastic job of, of blocking infection. But the good news is the old ones, so if you've just had your, your, your next COVID shot or planning on getting one this week or next week before those new vaccines arrive, those old ones still work amazingly well and, and really far better than we could have predicted two years ago when they were, were originally released. So they have a little less efficacy of you know, stopping the actual infection. You might still get some mild symptoms. But they're doing a fantastic job of keeping people out of the hospital. Do you recommend then, I mean, so we've got somebody in a high risk, we've got somebody who, you know, maybe has a, a immunocompromised, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Then do we wait for those specific shots to come to us and, and take those? So I think that this is definitely a conversation you have to have with your healthcare provider because there's going to be a lot of individual uh, uh, characteristics. So if it's been more than six months and, and, and you're going into uh, 
for example, traveling or going into situations where you may be exposed or, or more likely to be exposed, you know, you may need to consider getting that, that next shot now rather than waiting. If, however, you had your last shot, you know, four months ago, there's no harm in waiting two more months and, and getting that variant-specific booster when available. And this is kind of a general question. I guess it could do with a cold or a flu, but, for example, you say that our immunity has is, is worked pretty well when it comes to the most recent strains mm-hmm. of COVID. When do I know that I should be getting, you know, the, the seek out the help of a, my family doctor or go to the uh, uh, drop-in clinic? When do I know? It, it, it's really, you know, user gut feeling, right? This is this, similar to, for example, flu. If, if We often lose sight that prior to COVID, Influenza was the leading cause of death in Canada from infectious disease. And we still refer to things as just the flu. So obviously some people still get very sick. And it's one of those ones that, you know, if this doesn't feel right, if this feels, you know, worse than usual, if, if you're really not feeling good, absolutely. that we're, we're not discouraging people from seeking medical attention. And even if there's no need to go to a hospital, but, you know, at least you contact your primary health care provider. It's on their radar. They can provide detailed advice on your own medical history, what risk group you're in, what medications you may be on, it, it's far more, you know, putting your mind at ease that uh, that at least, you know, somebody who's aware of your personal condition is also aware of, mm-hmm. of how you're feeling. Dr. Jenny mentioned the, the wastewater a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. and that's a, a way we've been able and figured out that we can sort of test COVID and how much of it is in, uh, you know, the population. Is that just something that we're not getting numbers from the province anymore? Because... Well, we, we will be getting numbers. Okay. I, I, it's just not quite as in, in the same real time as okay. what we were seeing when they were being run through those private organizations. Gotcha, because that is yeah. an important factor, isn't it? It absolutely is, and likewise, even just the you know the the weekly or biweekly reporting, our numbers seem to be lagging a little bit on that as well. And those were, you know, again, really informative for people that had family members at risk. So you know, the, it's back to always the more data we have, the the better a decision we can make. And in the absence of data, we're unfortunately left guessing sometimes. I had a question, kind of a MythBusters type thing for you, mm-hmm. Doctor Jenny, and that is. <laughs> The old, and it, uh, I could say, I want to say old husband's tale, because old wife's tale seems a little Yeah, outdated, I like that better. Which is, you know, don't forget, put your jacket on, honey. It's a little chilly out. You're going to catch a cold. Yeah. Does the colder weather promote yeah. us to have colds and flus? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try and uh, pin this one down. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yes and no. Um, so, yeah, it really doesn't have to do with cold weather. It, it, it's, it, it, but there are some side effects of cold weather, and that is often particularly in Alberta, you know, when it cools down, the air gets a little drier, that dries out our, our airways, and, and uh, dry airways, we lose that, that protection of the, the, the moisture and the mucus that stops viruses from getting in. Likewise, if we're stressing the body, if you're not sleeping, if you're not eating well, if you're stressed out, those are also things that lower our immune defenses. So it's not so much running around outside uh, with, with friends in shorts and a t-shirt at, at three degrees, it's those other things such as dry airways, just physical stress that let the viruses win. And a good idea to throw a mask on maybe if you're okay with that and you're, you know, you feel like you might be getting sick? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you have symptoms, you know, everybody around you will appreciate it. Uh, you, you know, still wear masks when you're in a high-risk situation. You know, if you are in a risk group and you're still getting on an airplane and you can hear people coughing five rows away, you know, I, I still carry a mask with me when I fly just in case. 
Um, you know, it, it doesn't have to apply to every situation, but there will be times where that's an appropriate bit of personal protective equipment. Absolutely. Thanks. You've done it again. Answered all our <laughs> questions, Dr. Janney. Uh, thank you so much and have a good rest of your day. My pleasure, guys. Take care. You too. That is uh, Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Morning radio doesn't happen without it, but is it good for us or bad for us? Joining us to discuss the health benefits of caffeine is Dr. Mark Tonopolsky, an award-winning neuromuscular and neurometabolic specialist and the CEO, CSO, and founder of Stay Above Nutrition. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Well, let's break this down for us, for, for our listeners and for us, because, again, we like our coffee around here and caffeine. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we be reaching for that cup of joe or the caffeinated tea? Uh, what's the answer? Well, it's complicated. Uh, there's no question that coffee uh, and to some extent tea, although it's a slightly different compound, uh, do have a number of health benefits, which uh, over the uh, decades are becoming more and more apparent. For example, things like uh, type 2 diabetes, the risk is lower uh, for those who uh, habitually consume uh, coffee, uh, which does contain caffeine, which we'll talk about. Uh, but also, we're now finding that there may even be benefits from a cognitive perspective. And even the, something called fatty liver disease, which people may have heard of as well, seems to uh, be favorably enhanced uh, with uh, coffee consumption. Fascinating. Okay, so caffeine itself, healthy or not healthy? Well, I think the evidence is much stronger for coffee. So if we think about coffee and tea, these are essentially extracts from plants which don't just contain caffeine, Mm. even though that's what we think is in coffee. Uh, There's uh, many other organic compounds. And it's very likely that what we call epidemiology studies that say if you drink four or five cups of coffee a day, you get X health benefits. It's not just the caffeine that's doing it, but some of the other compounds, uh, things that are called polyphenols. So, for example, chlorogenic acid and caffeic acid. These are plant extracts which are probably conferring some of these benefits uh, in addition to caffeine itself. So how does, this, how, how does this break down when we talk about the caffeine in drinks like Red Bull and Coke and Diet Coke? Is there a difference or is all caffeine created equally? Well, caffeine is created equally, uh, but coffee is not uh, just caffeine. And so I think when we think about health benefits, uh, we're much um, more confident that there are health benefits from the plant extract, so from coffee. What we don't have is evidence that if you're drinking, you know, as you mentioned, Red Bulls or uh, caffeinated uh, sodas, et cetera, it's just pure caffeine without all of the other components that come from the plant extract that we're going to get these benefits. So there are benefits from pure caffeine, which have been shown in some uh, basic science studies and some animal studies. However, uh, certainly one study did show that just taking caffeine actually can have negative effects with respect to your ability to absorb sugar, which is not great if you're diabetic. Mm -hmm. Whereas we know that coffee itself, for example, definitely lowers the risk of type 2 diabetes. So I do believe and I'm much more confident in saying that it's the plant extract. So something that does contain coffee or tea uh, does does have these benefits. But uh, the, the jury's still out as to whether caffeine alone is beneficial. Fascinating. Okay, so let's talk about coffee itself. Self then and, and enhancing yep. exercise and performance does it 
Yes. Now, this is where the exercise performance, it doesn't matter if it's coffee or if it's caffeine. So innumerable studies have been done over the years showing that caffeine, where you take pure crystalline, pure caffeine, put it into a placebo or, um, um, uh, uh, sorry, compare it to a placebo uh, head-to-head, or if you drink coffee that contains caffeine. What we do see is an improvement in the force of muscle contraction during more longer activities. So we and others have shown that your perception of the fatigue Uh, is improved when you're on caffeine so you don't feel the stress so you can push yourself a little harder but in addition for every contraction you do you get a little bit of an extra burst of uh, contractile activity of the muscle meaning a bit more force and uh, that's been shown in a number of studies to improve exercise performance now it's not great but when we're looking at three four percent between first and last in a 1500 meter world uh, uh, championships a few weeks ago i mean it's quite a substantial uh, benefit that one can gain Okay, so if we want to, you know, incorporate this and, in, in, uh, you know, live and uh, embrace these benefits, doctor, is, is it a case of how much caffeine I should be having uh, when it comes to coffee? Or should I, you know, uh, be, be cognizant or just not take my foot off the gas and have my regular six cups of coffee a day? Well, I think some people feel that, you know, if a little bit is good, more is better. And I think for every human being, there's an upper limit. Uh, And certainly from an exercise performance perspective, some of my colleagues at University of Guelph showed that going to a really high level, so equivalent to, let's say, two large cups of coffee, you actually don't get any further benefit. Mm -hmm. And the benefits before exercise, if you consume a, a caffeinated beverage an hour before, one can see with the equivalent of a medium sort of Tim Hortons cup of coffee. Uh, And when you go too high, they actually show that people did worse. So uh, certainly exercise performance doesn't need to be too high. Um, And from a health perspective, um, you know, three to five cups is sort of the range where we're seeing most of the evidence in terms of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes. Uh, but again, that's from uh, coffee as opposed to, uh, you know, these energy drinks that people are consuming. Coffee drinkers are rejoicing everywhere. Thanks so much for your time this morning, doctor. Appreciate it. Oh, that's uh, been great talking to you and have a great day. Thank you. Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky, award-winning neuromuscular and neurometabolic specialist, CEO, CSO, and founder of Stay Above Nutrition.